The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash earnings right now. netsuite.com slash earnings. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts. Radio. News. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. Very exciting episode today because we're going to interview Randy Nonnenberg, the founder and president of Bring a Trailer, probably one of the most important businesses in the automotive industry to emerge over the last couple of decades, I would say. So definitely stay tuned for that. Plus, Hannah, you bought a car last week. I did. We we're, did. We're going to talk yes. about you and your partner, Corvette. Magnus Walker, bought another C3 Corvette. His and hers. We're going to talk about um, that for sure. I'm excited to hear what it's like to drive a C3 Corvette. Maybe when I come over, you'll let me take one of yours for a spin. And then uh, I bought a car as well. I've been searching. I've been asking people for advice. Our email address, by the way, you can write in and tell me what you think about my choice, what you think about Hannah's uh, Corvette, growing Corvette collection. Our email address is hotpursuit at bloomberg.com. Net. That's hot pursuit at Bloomberg.net. And we do personally see and read each email you send us. And we do respond as well. Yeah, absolutely. We got so much feedback in terms of uh, my car family hauler debate, and it was very useful. And we get a lot of suggestions about content that we are working behind the scenes to put into action. So write to us at hot pursuit at Bloomberg.net, uh, and we will respond and eventually we'll send you signed glossies, maybe. Yeah, glamour if, shots. If we get some made up. We need to get some made up. All right, why don't you bring in our next guest, Hannah? So Randy is somebody who might have invented the most addictive new thing in the car world. It's not new. It was started in 2007 called Bring a Trailer. Last year, Bring a Trailer cleared more than $1.4 billion in sales. It's kind of insane. Um, almost a million active users and 400,000 plus registered bidders. Randy answers all of our questions about what's trending, what's hot, you know, what he's driving these days. I can't wait to talk to him. Well, let's do it right now. Give us a brief overview of Bring a Trailer, because I think everyone knows what it is, but I don't think everyone knows how it started, how you got started with the site. Absolutely, so I'm happy to do that. So we turned on Bring a Trailer in 2007, and at the beginning, it was just a blog where I was basically hunting around the internet, finding interesting cars for sale. And it turns out that resonated with an audience. A lot of people were doing the same thing, hunting around at weird websites, dealer websites all over the place. And they'd find something for sale, whether or not they were going to buy it. But that was their sort of flavor of entertainment and treasure hunting. And the internet was very scattered. And and it was fun to do that. So putting all that right on BAT, I didn't have the money to buy all these fun cars that I found, but I could certainly hone my skills at finding them. So 
uh, decided to share that with a, a broader group. And it, it grew organically and people sort of forwarded it on to their friends. And we created a morning email digest that you could wake up and open up uh, your email and BAT would hit you with four or five interesting cars that I had found personally the night before uh, in my internet ramblings. And for whatever reason, the kind of cars that I found, and some of them were deals, some of them were projects, some of them were exotic and interesting. Um, it was stuff people wouldn't have found otherwise. So they thought it was compelling. And then it it uh, it kind of snowballed from there. So, But it was almost like a blog, right? Or it wasn't an auction site at first, if I recall. Because I remember like I was reading Jalopnik, and they would say, hey, look what came up on Bring a Trailer. And it, at that point, it wasn't the same as it is now. Correct. It wasn't a marketplace. Everybody always asks, like, oh, did you have a big business idea for BAT? And it was more therapy for me than it was business. It was like what I did with my free time. And I just decided to share it with everybody else. And um, so, yeah, there was no marketplace. There was none of that until the audience came along and kind of asked for a marketplace and said, hey, you uh, you featured my MG that was on Craigslist and I got 20 phone calls for it. Why can't I just send you my next MG instead of hoping you feature it? And so then the light bulb went off like, wait, this is a marketplace opportunity so we said we'd set up you know classifieds and let people list their car on BAT if they emailed them to me first and and we started to do that and then that snowballed into people fighting over the cars and that's a natural auction moment was was the next step and at the time you were you working at BMW North America at the time what was catching your eye I mean when you were spending your midnight hours looking online. What were you looking for? Good question. Yeah, I was working in the car business. I always wanted to work near uh, cars, which were near and dear for me. So I channeled that into engineering and working for BMW and and doing those sort of projects with a modern OEM, which which was super fun. But I always liked vintage cars. I always liked race cars. I always liked all sorts of uh, different stuff. My interests are very, very broad, sort of similar to how the website now is, right? I mean, we list pickup trucks and we'll list an army tank and then we'll list a Datsun race car and then we'll list a Rolls Royce, right? It's just, it's sort of schizophrenic and all over the place, but variety for me has always been what makes cars so cool. And the fact you can pull up at a light and you know, there's a little four cylinder British car. And then there's a, you know, fancy exotic right next to it. Uh, and so what was I looking for? I was looking for interesting stuff, right? You load Craigslist and my local San Francisco Craigslist would have 10 million cars you don't want that are either junk or boring. And they'd have those two that if you looked long enough at the two in the morning, you'd find them. And so I figured out how to find them. And it was it was more just special and different and uh, I have my tastes as well around certain stuff that I own and I love, but I, I really love just a story and a, a special find. Okay, so tell us about a moment where you kind of realized this is a thing and this is this really has legs because, tell me if I'm wrong, I think you guys did $1.4 in sales last year, which is unbelievable. At what point along this journey did you realize, oh, this is this is really big? When did you quit working for BMW? <laughs> uh, well, it took a while to do that even, right? Yeah, three years. It was just a side hustle and a kind of fun evening project and an excuse to hang out with a buddy of mine that I started it with. 
the light bulb really went on when we saw that we were making a difference in those cars we were featuring. When those sellers would be like, I don't know what happened, but BAT featured it and everything went bananas all of a sudden, right? There was like an upswell of interest in the cars that we were featured and it became kind of a good thing to get featured on BAT. And then we're like, oh, wait a minute, that's different. But even back up before that, I mean, and, and yeah, you said, was it like a blog? It was a blog. It was a WordPress blog at the beginning, which is like a free... <laughs> Easy product that you could run off cool. your your laptop, yeah. And so the fact that there was anybody in the comments and the discussion that would say anything, the fact that they would read anything that I wrote as a total amateur, like wannabe, you know, I wasn't like a journalist, like like you guys are in in the halls of Bloomberg. I was just like a dude that turned on a website, right? And so for. The feedback loop for me was when people would engage and talk about either my opinions or the car that was featured. And I mean, it's very rudimentary now. Everybody thinks it's normal to comment on social media or whatever now. But I mean, in 07, I mean, there was no, we turned it on before there was an iPhone, right? Before there was things that we all totally take for granted now. And obviously we weren't the first to do that, but in this car sort of universe, we were one of the early ones to do that, where you'd actually have an interaction talking about something that was for sale. And that was very different. And so that that was before the marketplace opportunity. It was just sort of the adrenaline that I needed to keep going and doing this again tomorrow, because you needed to keep that energy up and do it every day. So let me ask you now, I mean, Doug DeMuro famously sold his auctioneering website and went out and bought a Porsche Carrera GT, right? And then <laughs> and then he bought a Countach and he already had the G, the 4 GT. Did you go out and buy yourself something special or did you build yourself a new garage? I mean, you now have the ability to take a hobby for most girls and guys who care about cars. They sit on the on the internet all night like you and dream about what they could do. Now you, I imagine you could do it. You probably have like 100 employees and an office building and so what are you doing now? We have all that stuff. We have 150 employees and the, the, the site. No, your vulgarity is okay. I've heard different <laughs> terms for it. But uh, BAT, yeah, you can do the balance sheet of BAT on a bar napkin if you if you have the patience and, and tally up everything on the website that's very transparent and, and permanent. Um, my, yeah, my goals are a little different. I, I didn't race out and buy any supercars. People, people say, you know, Randy, where's your Ferrari or your Lamborghini? Or but a 3.0 CSL? No, but I, I I joked in the early days of BAT that I, I dreamed $20,000 at a time. That was kind of like the stuff on BAT, a lot of it was very accessible and that sort of stuff. Now, 20, 20K in 07 is different now. Call it 50K at a time. So I still kind of dream 50K at a time. Um, I bought a, you know, some of, some of my dream vehicles are, you know, pickup trucks and, um, I've you seen know, some of those, Randy. The yeah. Very and cool. then, and I think Hannah kind of shakes her head at me like, what is this guy doing? And it, friends of mine are like, yeah, why aren't you in some Porsche <laughs> supercar? Right. And I, I have a 72 GMC. That's like my favorite thing in the world. It's parked here at BAT HQ right in the middle. And it's, it's awesome. It was just written up in a, a magazine, but not written up because it's so expensive. It's written up because it's just so different and cool and everybody loves it whenever you show up in it. So that sort of thing. I'm into, I'm into sixties Alfa Romeos and have one that's a little, a little dented up and I drive on events the dirt roads and stuff. I don't have the one that's rolling out to Pebble beach. I have just sort of some different stuff and maybe that's just my style, but I don't, I don't foresee, you know, a $5 million supercar in my future. I, I foresee, uh, I mean, I still, you know, the early days of BET was me searching for cars and like, here I am in 
present day, like last night, I'm searching on European sites for, you know, $30,000 cars. It's kind of like what I, it's kind of what I do. And oh, so by the way, do pe- does anyone really still do that, Randy? Because I imagine most of the cars on the site, you know, everybody knows and they go to BAT to sell it. If I have a, you know, 2005 GT, I know that I'm going to go to BAT for the best traction. But is there anybody still like searching, uh, you know, Craigslist in the Midwest? eBay. eBay, eBay Motors. Well, it's it's pretty painful now because things have changed, right? People have different channels where they can list these things. And even social media, like if you wanted to sell your car and you have any sort of following on social media, a lot of people just throw their car on there, right? So the, the places have changed. Uh, and BAT is you know, a lot of people in the early days were like, Randy, you're going to you're going to uncover all the secrets. There's going to be no more secrets anymore. And I was like, you know what? There's so many cars and there's so many websites and crazy people out there that, you know, hoard their stuff like there's plenty of supply. Thankfully, BAT now has, you know, hundreds of these every single week and you can go find a bunch of good stuff. But I still go hunt around, you know, dealers that are clueless and like have their five cars on their website only and stuff like that. You can still find crazy stuff. Now, Craigslist has, uh, they don't have as many gems there as maybe they used to. eBay doesn't have as many gems as they used to because of, again, these these alternatives. But uh, it's still fun to treasure hunt, and I, I still do it. And I still have a bunch of cars I want to own before I die that I haven't bought yet. And so I have to figure out how to sell some and buy some and, and have Where some Where are you keeping it. these? Where I mean, this is a space issue now more than anything, as anyone who loves loves cars knows it's kind of a problem i moved out of san francisco i used to have the little you know tiny you know 1920s garage in san francisco you couldn't even drive a modern suv into the door it was like for a horse and buggy or whatever (laughs) so that that thankfully we moved beyond that and out to the burbs but uh, i have a couple cars at home and then bat the office here in san francisco thankfully we're in an industrial space where the staff several of my employees and and myself we keep a few cars which is really fun and then uh, yeah, I have an outpost out in the mountains with a storage unit, and I have some some again a couple trucks up there. Hannah, you're smiling, yeah, and uh, yeah. and then uh, a couple cars, and then we have these partners. BAT has local partners all over the country now, which is really fun. And one of my favorite automotive things to do is to go on driving events all over the place in in the U.S. and outside the U.S. And so I, I've kept a car at. Wait, what's at with one that? What's with the partner uh, model? In, I didn't know about in that. L.A. and East Coast. Yeah, so we have. Uh, I think it's 48 of these now, coast to coast. And we've always just sort of reacted to the car buying and selling customer and what they actually want. And some of them want to do everything themselves on BAT and are control freaks. So they want to do every comment. They want to take every photo. They want to do everything and be very involved. they got a and lot of time guys, on their hands. <laughs> well, that's right. So so where that goes is there, the flip side of that is there are customers who have cars and they just want to drive them and have everybody else handle the rest, right? And so obviously we're a virtual uh, company and we're based here in SF. So if somebody in Atlanta has two Ferraris they want to sell, we would start getting many calls saying, hey, who can help me do this? So we found that the best way to do that was not to prop up a BAT brick and mortar in every corner of the globe. It was to find who's the best person that knows how to take great photos and prepare a car for sale in Atlanta Let's go get to know them and set them up uh, and support them and promote them and, frankly, steer business to them. And uh, we found many partners that know how to do that. And so all, many places where where people are located, it's soon expanding outside the U.S. But right now in the U.S., 
in all the major metros, you can say, oh, I can take my car and, and drop a car in the keys with this person and they're trusted and they can get the car in BAT and get that BAT result, you know, that magic BAT result that requires effort. But without the effort, you just kind of pay someone else to do it. And and it's been working super well. We love it. It's been a, it's been a fast track and a really successful system for many sellers. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So this brings up a really good point, Randy. You mentioned the word trusted. And, you know, previously you also mentioned the word transparency and, and about how you could kind of figure out the BAT business plan on the back of a napkin if you wanted to. And, you know, I've covered the company and, and known you for some time now, and you've always been very transparent about the financials and, and kind of everything, which is unusual and wonderful. And, you know, I know when this whole idea of buying a car online first started percolating. There were a lot of people who said, I would never buy a car online. You can't trust it. How, why would you, how could you even do that without driving it or let alone even seeing it? Um, can you talk a little bit about your philosophy about how do you get people to trust BAT? You know, you mentioned these partners, how do we know those people are trustworthy? What is the vetting process on your end of things? Because you really had an uphill battle when BAT first started. Absolutely. It was uphill. And we had to, frankly, overcompensate to give people that comfort level because so many people have been burned or had sure. bad experiences or there's the internet and there's used car buying, right? Like think of like, Trying to think of things that are worse, like casinos or I mean, gambling or something, right? The I mean, stereotypes no, I are for a reason. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There's a lot of sharks and alligators in the water, is what I always like to say. And there wasn't a lot of truth told. And then people would go kind of hide behind the internet. And man, what is what is that going to turn into? It's not even face to face, right? So there's a lot of ways it can go wrong. And so for us, I mean, we kind of built this this auction product, like for the for the 
um, transactions I wanted to have myself. I was like customer number one, right? I was like, I don't trust any of these other people, so let's go build it in a way that we would actually use it. And to do that, this you know community engagement and, and doing things more transparently, almost overly transparent in a way, it was unsettling to people. And I think they, they were kind of like, is this for real? And, and thankfully, we were patient. And so we didn't have a, again, business plan deadline to make money in year two or whatever like that, right? It was just kind of like, let's do this the right way and kind of play the long game. And so it took some years. And even when we launched auctions, we had skeptics saying, you know, the world doesn't need another auction and, oh, you're just like eBay and like, oh, 10 auctions are better. You know, there was all these reasons why it shouldn't work or it wouldn't work. And we just kind of kept finding these different um, components that people didn't like and go break those down and make it positive. And that long sort of trudge to do that when you don't borrow money and you kind of just like have your eye on the long game, you can make different decisions. You don't have to like hurry up and, and take shortcuts. Oh, you know so what? Speaking of borrowing money, uh, so Hannah and I both have just recently bought a car. We're going to talk about that later. <laughs> and it is uh, terrifying and disheartening. And landscape. exhilarating. And and can be yep. exhilarating, right, if you get it right. But yeah, there's a lot of sharks in the water for sure. One of the yep. issues a lot of people have is financing, right? Okay, not the gal who picks up uh, you know, the new new generation Ford GT for a million dollars, but for people who are buying like a $30,000 car or a $50,000 car, a lot of times they're going to be at a normal dealer financing. Do you have like a financing arm or do you have to bring that into the equation? So you're teeing, teeing me up perfectly. Hannah was asking what's coming Perfect. and what's going on. And so we're within you know, days or a couple weeks of a new, um, pretty revolutionary product that we're excited and component of BAT that I'm happy to tease here, which is gonna basically change the checkout experience on BAT. BAT has long been pursued by, yeah, financing, insurance, all these different sort of tack-on components that you could add. And frankly, we've been very skeptical of that because we didn't want to make it too commercial or muddy the waters or, or um, or jump in with the first offer or anything like that. So a lot of people for a long time have said, why isn't there financing on BAT? You could do that so easily. But with the variety that we offer on BAT, again, a $5,000 Datsun and a $5 million Ferrari is our range. There's not a one size fits all, right? So a bank will walk in the door and say, hey, we want to be BAT's finance bank partner. And it's like, if it's that one dimensional, they have a challenge for the variety of customer and for the variety of inventory. And so we've always wanted like a suite of products that we can offer cleanly and in a non-confusing way. And again, in a trustworthy way. And so what's going to roll out for us is kind of the, the after the point of the auction is over, there's some decisions to make and we're going to um, be able to offer a checkout process, which takes care of paperwork, financing, insurance, different sorts of things that are rolled up into a more streamlined and trustworthy uh, transfer of funds is also going to be in it. These sort of things, which are right now we're kind of like a dating service. We like mix match you up with the car, but then like what you do with your life is up to you. And that that's great. And that freedom is great. But a lot of people are like, hey, can you help me with all these other things? And financing is one of them we get asked all the time. And so we really think this new checkout, uh, BAT checkout process is going to be really cool. And that's 
uh, no joke. We're we're doing this after I get off the the, the uh, mic with you guys. We're going through some of the final demos this afternoon, and it, it will be out on the market soon. So, by the way, if so, I just have been looking at cars dealers across the country, and I notice a lot of them will charge a few hundred dollars for dock fees, and then some say, "Oh, there was a three thousand dollar down payment in addition to the price." Plus, you know, there's a two thousand dollar prep fee, and oh yeah, we sell low jack on every single car, and we require you to buy it for eight ninety five. Is the price that I get on BAT when I finally win the auction, is that near the price that I'm going to actually pay for the vehicle? So that is. I mean, we do take a fee for auctions, as as all auctions do. Ours is 5%. So that, that's very Less than, explicit. that's pretty low. And it's very low for compared to a physical auction. And it's even low among most digital competitors that we have. Uh, and I've always liked sort of low fees. I think it's one of the reasons for our success, frankly. But yeah, is that pretty close to what you pay? Yeah, right now the digital checkout will be optional, right? Like you, do, we're not going to like make you go do this and then charge you for it and different sorts of things. It's like I like adding a la carte services if people want them. But if they don't want them, if you if you love spending the time, it's your favorite thing to control everything end to end. We we always try to support that. Again, that's that's a reputation that the car dealer world, right? You get kind of shoved into the F&I office and then all these charges and you're like, what? You walk out of there bruised and battered and say, what did I just Underbody do? sealant? Um, do you have a tire and wheel wow. package? <laughs> totally. Like special window tints you end up buying you didn't know you needed that are going to, you know, uh, who knows? So uh, yeah, there's, there's, I've never liked that sort of stuff. And um, I think culturally on BET, there's a there's a desire from the entire BET community that it's just clear and understood and and not a pressure sales approach. And I think that has served us well. So yeah, anyway, a bunch of services that we want to be able to offer and I'll offer them in a sort of delightful way that is additive instead of feels punitive. So yeah, you can walk away, you put your uh, bid on the car, there's a 5% fee. Uh, that you're not going to get away from when you win a car uh, at auction. But then other than that, it's kind of up to you uh, after that. I'm very curious who you see people cross shopping against bring a trailer. I mean, I don't know if I want to say who's your competition, but if people are looking for things on bring a trailer, where else are they looking to buy a similar thing these days? Uh, good question. And I'm very explicit about our you know competition and who's yeah. out there, right? When we started it, the whiteboard session was no joke. Like eBay was on one side uh -huh. and RM and Bonhams and Gooding and all these, you know, high-end auctions were on the other side. And we tried to find a sweet spot in the middle. Now that was 2014, right? And fast forward, uh, BAT auctions will celebrate 10 years in June, uh, July timeframe of this year. And so things change, right? For the better, for the worse, uh, you know, COVID happened in that, in that timeframe. Um, it's been, we've all lived a lot of life in the last 10 years and the whiteboard right now would be totally different. Like they would be very different players right now. Some of them are the same, but obviously a lot of people, um, have adopted our model of, of online selling and curation and, and listing quality and the things that we introduced. And, uh, yeah, you talk about, you know, collecting cars out of the UK, they're, they're a meaningful player. Um, the older classified sites have launched auctions, right? Like Hemmings and, and mm -hmm. Auto Traders launching theirs and different different things are happening. It's a very dynamic market. You mentioned Doug DeMuro, like YouTubers are starting. Supercar Blondie is supposedly starting an auction next month, right? I mean, it's like a trendy thing to do because uh, Doug DeMuro showed the, that the YouTuber audience, you can try to pivot them into you know paying money for cars. I don't know. Cars and bids, is that really creative? It's just, I guess it is well, what it is. Hey, I don't actually, pick on anybody because bring a trailer. Everybody said was the weirdest let's, name of all yeah, time. Yeah, really really tell, tell the story. Tell the story. Yeah, how did you come what, up with what that? About what bring a trailer means because I think we know what it means, but let's hear it from you. Yeah, well, um, bring a trailer. I mean, I searched 
even before there was an internet, when I was a kid, instead of, you know, reading the back of the cereal box, you know, eating, eating before school or whatever, I would read the classifieds in the San Jose Mercury News. And people would, would put funny little taglines and abbreviate that you paid by the letter and you paid by the line and stuff. So there were all these buzzwords, which was always really funny. And it was like this code that I had to crack and figure out. And I was, I would do that every day. So I would, I was uh, pretty adept at it. But anyway, in there were buzzwords and one of them oftentimes was bring a trailer was written right there in the ad because that could mean either a piece of junk in your side yard or if there was like a race car in the classifieds, they'd say bring a trailer or for whatever reason, like that was a call to action. And so that later when I was searching Craigslist or wherever, I would actually search that term on the internet and find it in classifieds places, and that would mean maybe it's an interesting project car. So that's where the term "bring a trailer" came from, and and it was it was decided on amongst some other random names of what we may name a website, and so we decided to call it that. I imagine COVID really breathed life into BAT, right? I mean, before COVID, prices just weren't nearly as high as they are, and I. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least in my mind, for the last few years, I have blamed BAT for driving prices up in the uh, many have second yeah, many have done that. Is that fair? Is that fair? Uh, I think prices have gone up because um, people and and yeah, COVID experience and and what people have wanted has evolved over the last ten years. Also, yeah, just a dollar. I mean, you guys are the financial experts, but a dollar doesn't go as far as it did in twenty fourteen or two thousand seven. So prices are up in general. But I think we've helped and some other media has helped shine a light on how cool cars can be for not just, you know, it's a, it's a shiny, you know, red Ferrari asset. It's a, but experientially, I think there's some events that have come on. I think there's different classes of car, this whole trucks thing that I'm talking about, like that wasn't that cool 20 years ago, but like, it was embarrassing. You know, going down a, if your dad going had down one, a, it was embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Going down a dirt road now is actually, you know, you see all these, Every single print clothing catalog I get in the mail has like an old Bronco on the cover, you know, I mean, like it's like a thing. So I think a lot of things have driven prices up. I think BAT has um, made it accessible and trustworthy, which I think unlocked a lot of bidders and financial capability of buyers. Um, So that, that tends to drive prices up a little bit, sure. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. 
And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. When I think of collector cars, I always think of the Mustangs and the muscle cars. Hannah, I'm sure, thinks of the Ferraris and... Also Rolls Royces, of course. Yes. Uh, all Rolls Royces She's the all higher the end, right? And I'm, like, <laughs> in my uncle's garage. But what, what are the hot cars right now? Because obviously a 60s That's what we really want to know. Mustang is going to be, or the Bronco, you know, it had its moment, sure, for the last few years. But what about right now? What do you see as the rising stars? Yeah, there's a few that, like, were rocket ships to the moon for a while there. And then now they have pulled back. Broncos have pulled back. It got a little out of control and then, honestly, there was a macroeconomic sort of reset in 2023, which brought prices down kind of across the board compared to 2022 was the peak of the of the bubble. And then it kind of settled down. People got some sanity, but there were broader financial implications as well. And so I saw almost all prices come down a little bit last year. And now they're stabilized and people kind of are back to basics of what do I really love? What do I really want to, again, experience? And I think the things that are being driven, specific models... Uh, there will always be this sort of nostalgia narrative, meaning that as time marches on, newer and newer cars be, get more focus, right? Everybody was talking about, oh, 90s cars, 90s cars a little bit ago. Now that narrative has marched into the early 2000s cars and up to 2010 type cars. Those are, you know, starting to be 15 and 20 years old now. Does that and make you feel old? old? It does. It does. It makes me feel old too. You know that classic cars have airbags in them and that sort of thing. You know what? But uh, that is insane. But um, those are you know those are getting older and a a younger group, right? People in their thirties. Those they were kids when those cars were coming out and that sort of stuff. So I like how that marches forward because it kind of lets different models from different eras. It it bothers me when a Fox body Mustang gets a six figure price. Oh, I don't man. Get it. And that happens that happens a fair amount, you know. A ninety-three Cobra Mustang is what, a thirty year old car and it's it's uh it's quite a collector's item at this point. I don't know if you've driven a Fox Mustang recently, but it kind of feels old. I haven't bit. since nineteen ninety three. Oh, I love what, those, man. I what love do you, those. So. What do you think is the ceiling of what you can sell on BAT in terms of prices. I know, obviously, we had a couple Carrera GTs that sold for well over a million. What do you think? I mean, when will the most expensive sale in the world happen on Bring a Trailer? Uh, we'll see. We'll see if it does. I mean, the top sale um, to date is a, a $5 million LaFerrari. Uh, and that happened in 2022 as part of that price run up. Um, and then, yeah, many, you know, seven figure cars are, are pretty common down closer to one and, and between one and two million, but over two and into five million, that, that's pretty rare air on BAT or, or anywhere truly online, like what we're doing, really. The tent auctions have very active sales teams that are out there running around, you know, shaking the trees and trying to, trying to track as many of those as they can. But our fee structure is so low that some sellers just can't resist and like like want want to do it in a new and different way. And so I think that there will be more uh, and more of those. I think the long game is that the low fees win. Will it ever become our bread and butter and we'll, you know, abandon cars under 100k to do all high-end cars no I, I love that we can 
at the same time, uh, you know, give as much attention to a, a ten thousand dollar motorcycle or car as we do to a million dollar car. More I think motorcycles. That's, that's, I want to see more motorcycles. I, I I do as well. So, but but just to finish on on Hannah's question, the the big the big ticket type stuff. I think we'll get that peppered in, and I think we're actually a very compelling place for cars. Call it three million dollars and under. But like, does BAT need to sell a forty million dollar? Lamal winner. I mean, it would be it would be an interesting exercise, but thankfully we're not relying on that whatsoever. So if it happens, great, and we cap our fees, so we make the same money on a forty million dollar car as we do on a one million dollar car. That's wild. And and we're fine with that. That's not how the big auction company works. So they'll spend a lot more to go capture sure. that uh, listing than we will. Um, and uh, thankfully, we don't need it. We can win on on different types. Are of you volume. turning? But yeah, motos. Motos are a thing. Motos are a big category on VAT, and we uh, did a moto event at Quail Lodge last year, and we're investing more in that. We're, I mean, people don't see it because it's a little bit, you know, mixed in with the cars. But we're the largest um, motorcycle marketplace online by, by a good measure. Wow! Uh, I think there's 40, 40 to sixty motos every week are are listed and transacted on VAT. And that isn't really being done in a, in a focused way any in any other market. No, that's so very that's, cool. That's cool. A cycle yep. cycle trader definitely needs to be disrupted. Are you <laughs> are you turning a lot of cars away? I heard you say one time you're listing like one Ford GT a week, but you don't want to do any more than that because you don't want to let them stack up. Are there lines of cars like '65 Mustangs, uh, you know, or Broncos that where you're saying, hey, we'll sell your car, but not until like March 15th. Uh, there can be it all ebbs and flows. You know, I check in with my team on a on a routine basis on what's what's uh, like that. We don't want things to stack up because if you have to wait a long time to list your car, that's not as compelling uh, as a seller. But there are certain models where we don't want it to overlap. And if you were a seller, you know, you're selling the most you know perfect Rolls Royce Corniche or whatever, and then it goes live, and the next day the same color, same car goes live. You'd be like, wait, wait, wait yeah. a minute. I want the scarcity and the the rarity is what we really don't want to flood the market here with corniches. You don't want to get crazy on the corniche market. So, I mean, that's an example. But yeah, you mentioned Ford GTs, uh, the the 0506, the first Ford GT. Most people don't modify those. There's like three up or four options on them, and they're like very similar. So if you launch one and you launch another one, that's the same moment, particularly the same color in the same geographic region, like you can kind of torpedo the the momentum there. So we have to be very thoughtful. We have a yeah, our team is like picking which vehicles go live when and where they are and what the seller uh, what the seller expects for timing and it's it's an orchestration and a curation of the whole experience. A lot of people think it's just oh I'll just throw my car on VAT tonight, you know, and it's it actually isn't it's it's much more thoughtful than that. And so the only other thing I'll say on the on the yeah things stacking up there will can be modern models that come out and are hard to get like when the Ford Lightning came out when the Bronco mm. Raptor came out uh, when some of the when Rivians first came out the pickup trucks that were rare there were people that wanted to you know turn their early early number into a profit to actually flip the car pretty quickly and those would would stack up and we had to be very careful we wouldn't just flood the website with that because I just didn't think that was and the automakers the hate the seller. that too. Well, yeah, automakers don't love it, but their <laughs> whole MSRP system is so broken that like it, it, it makes all kind of Porsche is like only letting you lease the ST now, so you don't flip yeah. it. And there's all these there's all these dynamics. So we navigate that, and we try to do what's best for the market and the customer, and the, and the result. The the goal is a good sales result. Th this brings up an interesting point, at least to me, interesting. I've listened to uh, you over the last few years 
talk about the idea of transparency and kind of the idea that you're not trying to really pimp the ride. Obviously, you want to sell the car. That's your job. But you're not making it sound better than it is because you want to be as fair to the buyer as you are to the seller in some way. So, what's your take on reserve auctions? Because to me, if you want to be totally transparent, the seller should just tell me what he wants. And then if me and Hannah both want the car, then we'll start outbidding each other. But there's no point in all the work that goes up to the reserve price. It just seems like um, kind of a scam. I love your point of view on that. So in the in the 1.0 of BAT auctions, I'll tell you a little story. I, I don't like reserves either, and I hated them. And I was like, so we're going to start an auction company that doesn't have reserves, right? We're going to do BAT auctions, and there's no option for reserves. And I thought that was a great idea. And we started it at some arbitrary number that was like a quasi reserve and hoped it would bid up. And, and we had these different mechanics because honestly, a lot of this was experimentation. We didn't we didn't always start it right at one dollar. But it turns out sellers are are resistant. Obviously, they're trying to protect their interest as much as as they want to sell the car. Right? They don't want to take a bath if they're nervous. There's no marketplace. So convincing people to start at one dollar with no reserve on you know, Randy Nonnenberg's shiny brand new website, like they, they were like, we're, you're never going to get any cars, right? It's never going to work. And there's meaningful, even today, like when we're curating, there's not people that will just have faith and go no reserve. They, they just, they're not willing to sell it under some number, whether they're in it that much, or it's some psychological thing, or their buddy sold a Trans Am for this number two weeks ago. So that's their number. They're anchored. It's like a, auctions are psychological, right? And but why not start at that? Like if I come to you with a Trans Am, um, yeah. and say like, dude, I want at least 30. So let's start at 29. I love it. So this is, this is the psychology part. So it turns out if you start the bidding at 29, first of all, the, the energy around it is totally different because you've effectively named your price, right? Like, I don't know if you, we can go deep mm. on this if you want, but if you're on eBay and the bidding starts at $1, but there's a 29.5 buy it now, you already know what the reserve is. This is one of my frustrations with tent auctions too, that put a range and estimate because they're often legally obligated to sell it at the low estimate. So they're telling you what the reserve is and they're gonna manufacture bids to get it as close as they can and then somebody's gonna leap off the cliff to actually sell it. There's there's all sorts of crazy dynamics in play and none of them feel good, to your point. It's like none of this feels right. So the best thing ever is no reserve and it starts at $1 and let it fly. And unfortunately you can't get all the good cars you can't get all the sellers even if they're lovely people they're not dishonest they're not messing with the system they just won't I, w I won't necessarily just throw my car on ebay no reserve like i'll sell it no matter what like that's a little vulnerable for some people and these cars can be special and particularly on bat a story of like their grandmother's car that they, it's like a one of one it's like a special special volkswagen bug and you tell them to take a risk they'll be like I, I'm, I'll go to the grave without selling it. I, I'll just, I just won't do it. So there's a ton of psychology that goes into it. Reserves are a tricky topic, and we have to negotiate them as all auction houses do beforehand. But things like setting ranges and and there's all these like external bogus things you can do to impact the auction outcome. And what I love and what what our ethos is is they all start at one dollar. There may or may not be a reserve, and we'll be very upfront about telling you what that is. We negotiate the reserve because we want it not like zero cars in a day to sell on BAT if all the reserves are crazy. If we just let any reserve, it would never work. But by, by the way, um, the, uh, the the grandmother and, story, and Randy, every car that you're going to buy, used car, has some history. It's always going to be somebody's dad's car or someone's grandmother's, you know, 
first ride. But when I know that personal history, it makes me trust a lot more. And actually, I'm more and more willing to buy that car, which is what I'm sure made Bring a Trailer so popular and successful at in the first place is that you actually give more than like three lines and the options, right? Now that you're so big, is it hard to find enough editorial staff to give us that much history on every single car that comes across the website? Well, it is. The short answer is yes. It's it's amazingly difficult to try to still do that at scale and not lose the quality of the listing. One thing that was different on BET way back early days was yeah, you know, two sentences of bad grammar and two blurry photos on Craigslist just don't get the job done, right? Like we can do better than this as a society, as humans, we can do better than this. So we found ways to encourage a, a deeper bunch of detail in the listing and great photos and those sort of things as sort of table stakes. Like you just start there, whether you're going to bid or not, you start there. And so doing all that was very important, but scaling that to 800 of those a week gets difficult. And again, the story is important and interaction with the seller and to extract that story sometimes takes effort. So yeah, we have figured out what we are absolutely committed to, which is like writing in prose, right? You'll see a lot of the other options. They're just like, oh, screw it. Just do bullet points. Bullet all points, you need is yeah. like, all you need is bullet points. And, and that's kind of true, but that specialness at auction is what makes people care and makes people bid. And so if like, could we list an R107 SL with like 10 bullet points? Yeah, we could probably do that. We could probably fire, you know, a ton of those out onto the marketplace at the same time and and do it all with AI, right? But that you'd lose something if you did that. So we've always wanted to, you know, hang our hat on that quality metric and we're not going to let go of that. And we'd rather develop tools to maintain that quality metric instead of veer away from it. And I think that's that's again part of the success and why people stick around on BAT. I'm really interested in the psychology of buying and selling old cars, Randy. I don't know if you ever go to like the Pomona swap market, swap meet, or, you know, some of these flea markets that also sell cars, but I'm just curious about what have you learned about buying a used car and haggling over a price and who should make the first offer? And do you say a number first or do you force the other person to say a number first? I just want to hear some of your like, what have you observed and learned and what can you teach us about being incredible buyers and savvy negotiators when it comes to price? Good question. So some of that is auction and some of that is just, you know, a handshake transaction, um, you know, at a, at a flea market or at a, at a car sale lot. And there's, yeah, a lot that goes into that. But the, what gets people to purchase is either the item for sale or the, the, some connection to the person that's selling it. Like you believe what they say or you like it, right? Like I, I would buy a modern car at the closest Ford dealer to me. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't, the inventory is the same. It doesn't sure. really matter whether I go it's an hour away an or I stay close. Yeah. yeah, and that's why online models for that are, are taking off and the dealer model is evolving. Um, but for special, one special thing, it gets into deep emotional in, you know, investment in the deal. And that's why a seven day auction is very interesting because it kind of gives you time to ride this mm, roller coaster. Oh, There's yeah. this elation when you first see it and you're totally over optimistic about everything. And then kind of reality sets in when you do your homework and then fear sets in when somebody else might get it instead of you. And then, it, I mean, it's this whole deal. And it is like by dating. the end of it, it's crazy. Yes. Yeah, it can be It can <laughs> for sure. So we've seen all sorts of different dynamics there, and I tend to stick to the auction narrative because we don't 
we don't list too much private party. I, I buy cars and sell cars in a whole bunch of different ways. But the auction psychology, I mean, I've looked into it and like, I mean, there's there's HBS studies on like auction dynamics and like reserve, like you were talking about. And and what does it feel like to get outbid and the winner's curse of like, you're going to go higher and oh, no, now I want it. What do I do? Yeah. Like all, all these different um, components of the psychology. And what I always tell my team and what we've experienced over the years is you pull one little lever and there are other things, there are other, everything's interconnected. So you say like, oh, if it's a no reserve auction, what does that do? That impacts like five other things, like how people play the clock and how many people try to show up late on a no reserve auction as opposed to bid early. And what what if you bid huge the second day and block everybody out? Does yeah. that, is that a winning strategy? Does that, that work? And all of, I'm curious. It, 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 it can. I mean, we've the craziest one is we've seen it's a very small handful. I mean, there's been 140,000 auctions on BAT now, but there are a few that stick out where on the first day, like a person won it with a first day bid. Wow. Um, big. And and that's crazy. And it, it's it's probably you can probably count it on two sets of uh, 10 fingers how often that has happened because it's a very unusual approach. And most people are more let's see what happens towards the end minded or or strategic I love in that, that. Way. so somebody was and, like there's a i don't know like a, a 69 camaro and i want it it's worth 40 but i don't want to i don't want to spend too much time with this so i'm just going to bid 65 you know it's a little it's a little crazy if you think about it but yeah i, I don't know i'm going on a fishing trip i'm going to be out of wi-fi and i don't have a, a surrogate to help me do this so i'm like i'm going to win this I'll, I'll be taking the car thank you very much it's like yeah. a it's like when you have a straight flush or whatever and you just drop it down. It's like, I'll, I'll take the car. Thank I'm you. I'm all in. And everybody, it, it, there, there's crazy stories. And it's fun to have a front row seat and watch that, right? Because it plays out 100 times a day, this crazy psychology roller coaster. And it's, it's kind of fun to see. We have to talk about EVs a little bit because I know uh, you mentioned you recently bought your first EV. And I'm also, so I'm curious about how that's going. But I also want to hear about EVs selling on Bring a Trailer. You know, we talk so much about mm. this emotional connection and the story behind what is being sold and the roller coaster and how it really reels people in. Is that possible with an electric vehicle? Uh, is it possible to feel emotional about electric vehicle? What What can you tell us? As an aside, I will say, when I was looking for an R1S, I decided that I would just only look at Bring a Trailer. Because I didn't feel like dealing with anybody else, and they're not like sitting on dealer lots, right? But I knew that BAT was going to have one every couple of weeks, and that's the only place I looked for one. And they I and they and that. they sold for good deals. Some of them are a deal, yeah. The, the market's moving on those. Those were one that was they're huge. The first one we sold was like thirty over stick crazy, and then it settled down. And just like all those in demand models, it that has happened. So, but uh, electric cars are super obviously super prevalent and interesting and the whole Tesla narrative is like going to go down in history as a like a crazy story that everybody had on the tip of their tongue for years and years and years in the car world and rightly so because it's it's a it's a compelling and interesting product we have an electric EV category on BAT where people are selling cars and people always ask are they special enough or are they cool enough or are they nostalgic enough and all of those are moving targets and you know, it's something that jumps out is, yeah, the, the original Tesla Roadster, the Lotus-based original Tesla Roadster, those are selling for multiples of their original MSRP now. And people consider them a collector's items, right? Whether you're a Musk fanboy or a or a Tesla driver and you, you think that's a cool collector's item, 
there are different models of every make, like the early, you know, low serial number Porsche 911, the first one or whatever is worth a gazillion dollars, right? And so out there somewhere floating around is like the first ever Model S or whatever. And if that surfaces, there are enthusiasts in that EV realm that would go for it um, or pay over for it or, or, you know, that rarity. What makes the trick with EVs is they've come mostly in an era where they're shooting for mass market, right? Like a Tesla Model 3. Is that very cool? We don't really list those on BET because they're, you know, you step outside and three of them drive by. But if there was a special one or it was owned by Mick Jagger or what, I don't know. I mean, it's like some crazy story. Um, all of a sudden, those there are, there are bright spots that can come out of very pedestrian sort of models. So there's that. And then Tesla Roadster was actually kind of a cool looking car and different. And they came in bright colors that were not white or gray or black. Right. I mean, they were cool. And then there's other models, right? The EV trucks that came out. And there's more like stuff that is uh, on waiting lists and are special. Those EVs have a bunch of traction, like you're saying, buying a Rivian on, on BAT. Or the Hummer, obviously. So, yeah, the Hummers were very, you know, low production at the beginning and people wanted them. So I think EVs, there's innovation in them. Some of them are cool looking. Many of them are just appliances going down the road and nobody really cares. And so that's terrible for auction, right? Like Hertz selling a, a zillion Tesla Model 3s back to the market. We're not yeah. going to scoop those up and list them all on BAT. That doesn't make any sense. But but I think EVs, some of them, if, if designed properly, can be very cool. What did you get? It's funny. You said Rivian, man. I got an R1S. Oh, nice. Um, that we've used as a as a uh, sort of shuttle and support vehicle at our events. We have a calendar of events through the year. And so that says BAT down the side of it. And people love it. That thing's super cool. My, my kids asked to ride in that one as much as the classic cars, just because it's kind of like a spaceship. Very cool. Hey, dude, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I really Thanks, do appreciate Randy. it. Uh, it was great talking to you. I still have a million more questions. So maybe someday we'll run into each other at one of your 48 partner uh, locations and I'll be able to ask. But um, really appreciate you joining us. Randy Nonnenberg, founder of Bring a Trailer. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. 
Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So it's kind of perfect that we're talking about buying things on Bring a Trailer because one of, you know, you can go on Bring a Trailer and sort of choose which makes and models you want to set a note for if you want to get alerts when they go online. And obviously one of the alerts that I've set up on my phone is C3 Corvettes because I own a 77, um, which is sort of toward the later end of the C3 generation. And so I see all the time all these Corvettes coming online. And Magnus, uh, we share the 77. Magnus kind of wanted one of his own. We, we should say for the listener that Magnus Walker is your partner in crime. Yes, 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 he is in crime and in life. And so we we kind of always have an eye out. And a couple weekends ago, we went to the Pomona Swap Meet, which is this old, old swap meet that happens at the fairgrounds out in Pomona, you know, 40 minutes outside of Los Angeles. I really want to go. And it's you would love it. It's so cool and so fun. And so we're walking through and it, it's just every different kind of car. There are tons of Beatles and old Cadillacs and old Mustangs and a few old Porsches and just everything. And it's really fun to people watch. And when we were out there, we saw a friend of ours, Jose, who had just bought a cool sort of burnt orange 1969 C3 Corvette chrome bumpers, four-speed manual, small block. A manual? Eight. Yes. Very cool. cool. And literally, he bought it like 10 minutes before we ran into him. So, of course, Magnus is super bummed because, of course, you want what you can't have. Yes. We didn't know we needed it. But now that we know we can't have it, we want it. You know, but happy for our friend or whatever. And, you know, at the time, Magnus did say, hey, if you want to flip it to us... Give me a call because Jose was talking about painting it. It, it, It's I don't want to call it ropey, but it's got quite a patina on it. Patina is a good word. Sure. It's been repainted. It's not original. This is not a Concours quality, but it is driver quality and it looks super cool. And it actually, as it turns out, drives great. Anyway, fast forward to last week and we get a call from Jose. Hey, you want to come look at the Corvette? (laughs) And so we're like, obviously. Wow. So we go and yeah, Jose did make a little bit of money on us just because he beat us by 10 to 15 minutes out at Pomona. But it was fair, you know, first come, first serve. It but he only fair. owned the car for a matter of weeks. How long yes, did he own it? I, a week and a half, two yeah. weeks, maybe. I mean, it literally sat in his driveway. But, you know, good for him. Um, he didn't make that much off us. And we really saved him. You know, we're not going to paint it or anything. Um, I think he realized, oh, I'm going to have to put some work into this if he wants to drive it. So anyway, long story short, we got the vet. Now we have the C3, the 77 and powder blue. And now we have the 69. That's a bit of a sort of rust burnt orange. It drives great, stops terrible, but it's cool and it's fun. And they're really not that expensive, especially when you're buying them out at a swap meet. In Pomona, well, I want to get your take on that. Because if I just Googled <clears throat> C3 Corvette and the first yeah. thing that, you know how Google lists a bunch of questions sure. like the FAQ, <laughs> the first thing, why is the C3 Corvette so cheap? Um, (laughs) But this is a car that was made from, I think, 67 was when they first started producing them in the factory until the early 80s. Until to 82. Yep. And it's an up and comer, in my opinion. I it's it's a car that's not gonna stay cheap. I remember like we talk about when the Countach or the Ferrari three oh eight was twenty 
25 grand on eBay. Yeah. And those days are long gone. I imagine that the C3 also isn't going to remain a bargain. So tell me about your fascination with this car, because it's the second one, as you said, that you guys have. You know, we could go real deep psychological on this. I did have a cor- the Barbie, the pink Barbie Corvette Whoa. as a child, yeah. which I didn't, I was not into cars at all. I don't, my uncle gave that to me. So maybe there's something really deeply embedded in my mind that it was impressed upon me by the pink Barbie Corvette many years ago. But aside from that, I'd never had a thing for Corvettes at all. But honestly, this is the, the honest truth. Dating someone who, and living with someone who is so deeply ingrained into certain pockets in the car world and then with my own work driving a bunch of new fancy cars I just wanted something that was completely different that nobody else had that I could afford that I liked that was nobody else's idea that I just liked for me and Bravo. Uh, it, it didn't hurt that Joan Didion, of course, has some iconic photos of her with her C3 Stingray when she Whoa. was living in Los Angeles, about a mile from where I currently live. So, you know, if Didion likes it, of course, that's a very, very good stamp of approval. But the other thing about the Corvette, I am new to Corvette, so I am in no way an expert, but I do know, you know, that this car is really an American icon when you think about how and why it was designed, the fact that it has been in existence since the 50s for so long, uninterrupted. There are very few American-made automobiles that have that type of heritage and pedigree. And, you know, I love European cars. Obviously, I I own a Rolls-Royce and love Porsches and love many, many European cars. But I just think it's cool and it's different. And nobody else I knew owned one when I when I first got it and or was talking about it. They're inexpensive. I could afford it. So do you track the values, by the way? I mean, you said you had an alert on BAT. Have you have you noticed (laughs) them? going up and up they really honestly I, I do look every now and then just because i'm curious and because when i first started looking for one i really wanted a white one which i know a lot of people hate white cars but i liked it i, I was didn't one get of a white people one. before yeah i know we've yeah. discussed this yeah. to me the values seem all over the place you can you can get a c3 for fifteen thousand dollars a driving running C3 for 15,000 bucks, or you could spend 80,000. They really seem all over the place. And it really depends, of course, on the engine, you know, what kind of transmission. So many of them are really in very poor condition. And I have to say, where something like a Rolls Royce or a Porsche might look still fine and cool if it's a little bit dirty or ropey the corvette does not hold up well <laughs> if it's dirty and really that's rough be part of the appeal it, i imagine I, though, right I, for me i don't like that's not my look oh, okay. um so i it's they're very it's they walk a very fine line between being extremely cool and extremely horrible what's it like to drive because it's got such a huge front end at least to me the proportions look like it's all hood (sighs) right yeah but i've never been in one or driven one so what's it like well there's a reason for the chrome bumpers in front and the first day that i drove my brand new to me corvette to the office i pulled in and just touched (laughs) a cement wall when I was parking, the, I wasn't even on the gas. The car was just rolling forward when I was parking, and I just touched it and died. It was horrible and devastating. And all that to say, it is. it takes a second to readjust because you're right, the front end is really long. 
Um, the chrome bumpers on every model? Because I no, 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 no. The chrome bumpers are more desirable, and those will cost you a little bit more. Which is why this particular new Corvette, the '69, the, the earlier ones have chrome bumpers. The later ones, like the '77, don't. And the chrome bumpers are more desirable. Yeah, the 69 that we just got does have the chrome bumpers. So All right, well, that that's an exciting yeah. used car story, and I'm on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum. Tell us everything. So, and thank you to everyone who wrote in. Yeah, no, to I help really you. appreciate everyone's uh, help and advice. And I got a lot of really good suggestions, but I stuck to, I mean, pretty much the Range Rover dropped out of the picture as soon as I started shopping around and realized I can't really afford a Range Rover long wheelbase. I mean, the $50,000 price cap held me back from getting anything 2018 or up. So everything was was older than that. And then I have worries about the maintenance costs, and uh, there's no wireless Apple CarPlay, and the infotainment is bad enough in a modern Range Rover, and it's even worse when you get... So that kind of dropped out of the picture. We looked at Jeeps for a while because my wife, she, was, she became open to that prospect. But um, it was quickly clear that they also wouldn't have enough room for the rear-facing car seats. We have big oh. rear-facing car seats because we want to keep our kids safe yeah. and healthy until they're like seven. <laughs> so basically, the Mercedes was the only one in the running. And I have been test driving a 2024 Mercedes GLS. I fell in love with what might as well be a minivan. Let me tell you. Wow. It's actually, I looked at the uh, the GLS versus a Toyota Sienna minivan, okay. right? The GLS is longer, it's wider, and it's taller than a Toyota Sienna. It's got seating for seven, you know? It's absolutely massive. It does feel like a bus when you're driving it around, uh-huh. um, which doesn't speak well, obviously, uh, for it. I drove it up to Bear Mountain. What are you eye level with? Like, are you eye level with UPS drivers? It's not as or like F one fifty drivers because it's not a body on frame like a Range Rover or a Tahoe or an Escalade. It doesn't sit up high. Um, it sits a little higher than your average car, but not much. So okay. it doesn't raise you up, and it is huge. However. <laughs> I fell in love with the inline six that Mercedes has put into those cars for the last, I guess, five years. Absolutely beautiful motor. You know when you have an engine that you just can't wait to go out and drive? Like I'll be sitting in bed thinking about how the throttle wow. feels and wow. the responsiveness is really good for a turbo motor. Um, it's it's a mild hybrid, but you can't even really tell. It's just the 48-volt system gives you a little goose when you need it. Every day, I picked somewhere new to go um, and drove just to drive this big bus. Wow. So you found one in California, right? So yeah. So I was looking around everywhere. I used mostly Auto Trader, but also Car Gurus and Auto Tempest, which Barry Ritholz told me about. But I feel like Auto Trader is the, the easiest to navigate. And I discovered something I had not known previously, which is that a lot of car dealers and the sketchiest dealers, for some reason, are in New York and New Jersey, and then <laughs> Illinois takes the cake. Like, the oh. absolute sketchiest dealers are in Illinois. But what they'll do is they'll say, okay, this uh, GLS costs 47.5, And then in this fine print, it'll say, price does not include uh, $29.95 down payment. So it's automatically 3000 higher. And then they'll say, oh, and there's a $2,000 prep fee. They're going to charge me a prep fee over and above the price for a used car? No. 
No. It's insane. And no. then, like I said, we install LoJack in all our cars. So you're obligated to pay $8.95 for that. And then paint protection film and underbody sealant and all this. It's such it's a ripoff. It's it is complete extortion. I don't you know, normally advocate for regulation, but... The government needs to come and regulate these used car dealers because they are criminals. Yeah. And what yeah. happened was I found one at, um, I'll just go ahead and say Galpin, which is, I know from uh, covering Ford, the largest Ford dealer in the country, and I had met uh, the owner, I guess the now president's father at uh, at Augusta. I was there one time with Alan Mulally for the Masters. And, oh, wow. And then... I knew because uh, David Tracy and Jason Torchinsky started this website, The Autopian, and it's bankrolled by Bo, who now is the president. And I thought, you know what? I trust this guy. If he's going to bankroll The Autopian, which is, you know, a website for people that are interested in like $3,000 JDM minivans, like that's a trustworthy guy. Yeah, that's real. real. Yeah, that's real. So I thought, all right, I can trust him. I called him up. The, the, The salesman was... Very transparent, very easy to deal with. Obviously, it's, it's so simple. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had to ship it from L.A. and I okay. had to get my brother-in-law to go over and check it out. Now, what did he do to check? I'm curious. So he's I mean, not did a mechanic. He have a list? You, uh, what was his checklist? He just. <laughs> I didn't know. I just wanted someone to test drive it. Right. Yeah. It's a fairly a new test. car. It's a yeah. 2021 GLS 450. Fine. So um, it's still in warranty. So I. I thought at first about getting a pre-purchase uh, inspection, but it's in warranty. Like if something's yeah. wrong with it, I'll just have Mercedes fix it. I just wanted someone to look at it to see that there's not too many scratches. I didn't want the driver's seat to be too used up, sure. you know. And um, he just took a bunch of pictures and said he loved it, and he didn't want to love it. He wanted to be oh. as critical as possible. Yeah. But he he said it was cool. So what it's not color cool. Is it? uh, it's emerald green. Oh, I like that. It's I the same like color that. that we had a G a G wagon in Berlin that was also emerald green. It looks black Great. in most days, but if the sun is out and is really bright, then you can see. That'll be really nice. And what's the interior color? It's got a brown leather interior. I can't remember. They call it like espresso or okay. cappuccino or something. So a darker brown. Dark brown leather interior, and uh, it's got like fine line wood i don't know oh, it, that's it nice. looks it looks kind of luxurious so it's basically a way to stomach a minivan that's and exciting with an engine that i adore with an infotainment system that i'm used to because i had the same mbuck system in my g-wagon and uh that counts for a lot to be honest <laughs> and most importantly i can fit rear-facing car seats in the second row and move my seat all the way back have you tested the sound system no, well, yes. It's, Potential, I, hypothetically. It's got a Burmester sound system. By the way, you bring up a, an in- interesting and important point, I think. I care a lot about sound systems. I know you do. I know you do. I've wasted a lot of money trying to make my Challenger. The Harman Kardon that you can option up to in the Challenger is garbage. And <laughs> even spending thousands of dollars, I haven't been able to improve it that much. The Burmester in the GLS, which is the same as in the G500, uh, or at least, you know, it sounds about the same to me, is pretty good. It's nothing to write home about, but it's not horrible. It's not going to ruin my my day, you know, when I put on Siamese Dream and I can't hear any detail at all. So I'm okay with the sound system. I think more people should review sound systems. Yeah. You know, I grew up reading Car and Driver and Road yeah. and Track, 
and I I watch now everybody's you know Doug Demuro and Matt Farah and nobody except for the Savage Geese nobody does any review of sound systems and I feel like the manufacturers get off easy when it comes to sound systems probably they probably do you know I'm genuinely really curious to hear what Edna thinks of the car Edna was angry at first because the test car was white. But okay. I think she'll be happy that the actual car we're buying is green because she's obsessed with T-Rex. And so we've dinosaurs everywhere. And she thinks, you know, I don't know if T-Rex was really green, but she, to her, that makes the car like a dinosaur. I love that. Great. All right. So that, I guess, wraps it up for this week. What do you got yeah. coming up? Ooh, um, you know what? Tomorrow I'm driving a Cybertruck. Actually, I should have I should have led with this. I'm driving Ooh. the Cybertruck tomorrow um, around Beverly Hills, and I may, you know, try to valet it somewhere for lunch and see how that goes, and see see what the valets do with this enormous vehicle. And then next week early, I'm going to go to, to Vegas to drive the new a new McLaren. Wow, the 750s. So okay, stuff to look I feel like to. the Cybertruck is. Even more interesting. Like, the McLaren is obviously going to be sure. amazing. Sure. Right? The, the Cybertruck's more of a wild card, right? Exactly. Yeah. I'm driving, by the way, I just picked up a Kia EV9. I like the EV9. And I don't, I, I just drove it from the garage to the office, so I don't right. really have a verdict yet, but I will tell you more about it next week. Let's put it like that. Okay. All right. We're, we're all in suspense. All right. Well, I guess that does it for this week. Join us uh, same time, same place next week. And definitely give us an email. The email is hotpursuit at bloomberg.net. Hotpursuit, all one word, all lowercase, at bloomberg, B-E-R-G, dot net. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Bloomberg. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, Ctrace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.